The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Raising teens alone can be brutal. It becomes easier when you are co-parenting with the universe. Welcome to Co-Parenting with the Universe. This is Muriel Felous, your host. And today I have a guest with me. His name is Don- Donovan Dreyer. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. I forgot to ask you how to pronounce it. <laughs> and to give you a little bit of feedback, Donovan started his career focus with a dream of becoming a pilot. Despite years of training and earning a degree, he discovered his real passion was not flying a plane, but instead helping parents and teens navigate, navigate the bumpy airways of life with ease. Don't we all need that? Mm-hmm. In today's world of overwhelm, anxiety of the future, stress, and pressure to be competitive, Donovan uses his unique gift to help the teens get calm, clear, and fall in love with their new life path. And I'm gonna give the mic to Donovan to, uh, first of all, welcome Donovan. I hope you're doing great today. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you so much. I hope you're doing great today too. I am, I am. (laughs) And I would love if you could tell my audience in your own words uh, a little bit about your pivoting point, first of all, when you really realized that what you wanted to do was helping teens and parents. Yeah, well, the pilot had kind of like a twinkle in his eye with flying as he was telling me all the stories. So I had met with a pilot at Zingerman's Deli in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I could just see that he had something for flying uh, that I didn't have, but I realized, I bet I've got that twinkle in my eye for something. I don't know what it is, but I'm gonna do the soul searching uh, throughout my, well, however long it takes. I'm gonna do the soul searching however, however long that takes to, to figure that out and feel, you know, really grasp what appeals to me. And I remember my wife and I were sitting on the couch one day and I was helping her through, she's a, she's a teacher. So she's also an educator working with kids for, over a couple decades as well, but it was in her first year. And I was just day after day after day, helping her through her day, helping her through her day, helping her through her day with the kid challenges. And uh, it just dawned on both of us this one day that I needed to be doing this with many other people. Like this is my gift to listen, grasp, understand what's going on and then problem solve. And uh, yeah, if we fast forward, I did that over 20 years now with hundreds of teenagers helping them through things and the family matters too. like the parents would come into my school counseling office. So um, it was the Columbine shooting that prompted me to actually go into specifically working with teenagers. So I wanted to go on the front lines 
before we have this concept of a frontliner. Like when that happened, I realized this is such a, a radically game-changing event for, for people to want to get, uh, you know, known out there in the world for notoriety, doing something like horribly bad to make the news. Um, that felt to me like a real game-changing event in human history, or at least American history. So I wanted to get right into the front lines and not read any articles or understand it from a outside perspective. So I put myself right in the throes of what it's like to be a teenager for the past, you know, 20 plus years. And I've learned a thing or two after all that. <laughs> I'm sure you did. And yes, that was such a, a horrible, shocking event. And unfortunately, since then, other events like this happened in the U.S., and I know talking with moms that, and even with, I lived in the US too, I moved now, but I, I grew, I raised my kids in the US and it's always a concern. You think about it in the back of your head and um, it, it's, it's very difficult. Um, it's, it's pressure. That's, that's uh, just what it is. Um, what is really, um, interesting to me is how did you did you have a natural connection with teenagers because teenagers today are oh, not are completely different than teenagers before and I know from having raised teenagers it it's not easy to build that connection no no I don't know if that's a thing I, I think I remember the first parent and kid that walked into my office and I just I didn't have an answer. I didn't have a solution. It wasn't like with my wife, uh, with the things that she talked about, because I had built that rapport, but somebody walks in the door and they want an answer. And I, I was like, I got nothing. You know, I don't think I got an answer here. Well, I got my master's degree. I should know something, but the specific thing they walked in the door with, I just remember being dumbfounded and thinking, okay, I guess my real learning starts now. And uh, the rapport building the kids aren't going to be like, oh, I trust you. Yay, yeah. you're a good person in my life. Let's just trust you. No, that doesn't happen. I don't think there is a natural thing. You have to work at this, you know, and it's, it's tricky if you've got in the school counseling realm, there's, you know, 350 or 600 people, you know, students put on your caseload. So it's a little bit tough to get to know them. And I noticed the teachers would build better rapport with the kids not naturally, but this is this is how we build relationships is it has to be a consistency of um, meetings or what I found if I just had a moment of time, I had to make the most of it. So that is not a natural thing. It's definitely something that, you know, over the course of 10,000 hours and maybe 10,000 more and 10,000 more hours that I developed mastery of, of how to build these connections and help parents build these connections. You know, I, I remember also like one parent said, I know my kid better than you do. This is my kid. And I thought about the four year high school cycle and then what happens after that and these big transitions and these big decisions. And I thought, hey, I've actually had hundreds and hundreds of experiences with the cycle and the decision making. So in a way, I almost know, know, you know, the general teenager better than a lot of parents do from having so much experience. That's for sure, because first of all, as parents, we know a certain side of our teenagers, certain facets that they have like us. We're like disco balls. We have so many of them. And some of them, we don't even know of their existence as, as a parent. So thinking that we know our teenager is a little bit, uh, it's, 
it's a dream world, but that's not really true most of the time. And I like the disco ball. <laughs> yeah, I always refer to people as disco balls. We have yeah, so not many. a diamond, not just like a few facets, <laughs> a whole disco ball. Over. Yes. And uh, what did you find that you used for having teenager trust you that maybe moms or parents can borrow or learn from you to learn to build a trust relationship with their uh, their teenager? <laughs> you got these tools called ears right here so uh that's the biggest thing so there there's i guess there's hearing and then not really listening and not really understanding so to hear with an interest in listening i mean that the, the kids do not just trust us even if we are their parents they've heard it a thousand times from our mouth and they're they're testing to see if we're really listening and then if we ask uh like one thing we can do is ask better questions so how was your day? Not such a better question. Like, I, fine. That's how my day was. Fine. So why don't you get better at asking questions and opening the conversations? So I think one thing I would teach is ask better questions. And that just is usually the first question, whatever the question is, is not as good as the follow-up. So oh. it's a test. Like, I'm fine. Let's see yeah. what you got now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. I'm finished with the conversation. So those those open-ended questions would be better than just, you know, something that can an be answered in one word. So get better at asking questions that that um, open up the conversation more. Tell me a little bit about how your um, presentation went in your AP class. And we might be not picking the spot at the right time either as another thing. So I just walked in the door, man. So pick your spot. So ask a better question that's open-ended like that, but also pick your spots. We don't have an opportunity to ask 50 questions in a barrage. Uh, we might be able to just try one or two or three and then all done now, let's let them have their peace and don't time it right when they walk in the door. I've been guilty of that. And, uh, you know, I can tell by the looks on my teenage daughter's face when I've uh, done something that uh, sometimes I do it on purpose. I'm not going to lie. So yeah, that, just to play. that yeah. builds rapport too, <laughs> is figuring out, you know, how to create, you know, a bit with your kids, something that you do that's an inside joke kind of a thing. So those are a couple of things. I guess those are three things. One is, you know, ask better questions. Two is pick the right time and zip it after you know that time has elapsed and then the third thing is create something that's a bit between the two of you yeah that, that's true the picking the right spot i know that my oldest for example when she's hungry that's not the right time to talk you're <laughs> going to talk with a dragon you're not going to talk with a teen and that i've learned uh through trials and errors and uh another thing that i've learned also with my kids and was to, because when I was working in an office, I used to come home right away and start and seeing the mess. Of course, I was a single mom, so there was stuff. And I was stressed before even entering the door. So I made it a habit to wait in my car for five minutes, really breathe and prepare myself to not expect perfection or not expect, uh, you know, like what I wanted to see, but be okay with whatever it was. And that helped me a lot too. And uh, the, the last point that you made, create a bit. I'm French, as you can hear. So 
we had a lot of inner jokes because I do a lot of Franklish and my kids still to this day, they make fun of me. So that, that was helping to build a rapport too. So anything can work. Yeah. Um, talking about mood, because I know I was preparing my mood to enter the house, but what I see is it's hard sometimes for moms to know, because you mentioned that sometimes they give us like a word as an answer and we don't have much to go with. But sometimes we have a hard time spotting if they are like uh, in an emotional state that is low or, or if they're sad or how can you, they don't even know themselves, frankly, most of the times they are not very aware. So I, there are two parts to this question. Is there a way for us parents to be better at reading our kids? Are there any signs that you give parents like see, for example, I don't know, some kind of uh, way to hold their body or something uh, to spot their emotional state and see if, we, if they need our help when we may not necessarily know. And the other side will I'll ask you after because that's more on the side of the team. Well, I believe I've created the biggest breakthrough for mental health and the biggest breakthrough for self-awareness in history. So I didn't have a tool like that myself as a school counselor until I created one. So the big problem is there's such a huge range of emotions. Like you said, it's a disco ball's worth of facets. It's, you know, same with the emojis. There's so many little emojis that they've made now, but I invented the ones that are green, yellow, and red. So that was my idea almost a decade ago to come up with, let's just do one smiley face that's green. Let's do the meh face in yellow. Let's do the frowny face in red. And that will, and that's, that's when I started working with elementary school kids. But you know, I, I got three years to work with elementary school kids at my daughter's school for two of the three years and during a pandemic as well. Yeah. Um, but that really helped me realize, you know what? The things that I that I bring down to the elementary school level when it comes to mood and emotions and stress, that's exactly what we need at the high school and the grown-up level too, is we need it that ridiculously simple because when we're emotional or when the emotions take over, we need things ridiculously simple. That's profound is to make them simple. So this nebulous inner world with this range of emotions, when we bring it down to just these three, the green, yellow, and the red, the beauty is I would actually have it on my whiteboard as a, as a printed out um, option for them to just point. They didn't even have to open their mouth to tell me the mood or explain the emotion or tell me how they feel. And especially the boys would literally just point that one or that one or that one. There was only three to choose from. And I would explain to them what the three different levels really meant so that there's a distinct difference. So in this nebulous inner world, you know, having x-ray vision into it, that's not very easy unless you really understand what these three levels are. And um, just in short, do you have like maybe a word to describe each one of them so parents could know better and maybe start using? That's brilliant to have only three three faces or three, how did you call it? Smileys? I don't even know how emojis, to call it. Emojis, yeah. Like emojis, yeah. Three, three colored emojis. Because the, it, it's so easy when we're when we're in an emotional state, when we're triggered or worried, we don't think com in complicated ways. We, we, we are deprived from our analytic brain. So it's brilliant, frankly. 
Um, how could you describe it to parents? Well, yeah, I think you've probably seen it on my Instagram and, and on Facebook. I've yeah. made the post with the traffic light idea uh, that I created. And then there's a do and a do not. There's three things not to do and there's three things to do. So the thing to do in the green zone is this level of stress, it's called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. So this level of stress, they can handle that on their own and they're building their emotional regulation muscles when we don't hover or helicopter. So don't jump in when it's lower level stress, allow them to build their emotional regulation skills. So that's where um, it's pretty clear they can probably handle it. They put their earbuds on and listen to music. They do some art, they journal, or they go for a walk. They can do something all by themselves at that level of stress. Now, when it's, when it's beyond the ability to DIY it, do it yourself, that's literally when we've crossed that yellow line into the yellow section. So that's the distinct difference. And in here, we don't need an, an emergency mental health support. This is where our support system exists. So they need positive peers. They need somebody they can lean on. They maybe need to be a person that others can lean on as well because really good friends might be yellow one day and the other person's yellow the next. Yeah. And this is where everyday people can offer that support. So that's what we need at the yellow is you're just in a space where we totally see you can't do it on your own, but we can see like, oh, this is helpful for you to actually uh, go out and uh, you know hit some tennis balls with your sister, something like that. And then finally, we're definitely beyond the green or yellow when we can't DIY it, our support system that's in our everyday life, neither of those is enough. Keep doing those things. We don't need to stop doing the green level like art or the yellow level playing tennis with the sister, keep doing those, but those are not enough. When those are not enough, we're literally in the red. And that's when we got to spot those red flags because it's a danger. Kids are uh, at risk to themselves. So I've seen that many times in my career and they're maybe you know in going to endanger others as well. So everything that evil that's ever happened or bad that's ever happened has happened from the red zone. Mental health wise, that person's in the red zone and they're unable to function normally, and they don't have the emergency help, and therefore something terrible happens. So now that explains every manner of violence that's ever happened. Mental health-wise, it's happened from the red zone. And because I know you're talking about being a danger to themselves, uh, my audience knows that um, in my house, when I was raising my teens, uh, we had a suicidal attempt. and. Mm -hmm. So that was the red zone. Yeah. But what I found was that when my kid was in the yellow zone, they wouldn't let me help them and they wouldn't even reach out for help from their peers. Um, is there something that we could either demonstrate or tell them to encourage them before they're even in a red zone or to encourage them to seek out some help and support when they are in that, in that yellow zone to prepare them somehow. Yeah, it's like help is a four letter word and it actually is, but <laughs> what I mean is like, it's such a, like there's such a stigma around it. So we've got to get better about seeing that everybody gets help every day. We're either mm -hmm. helping ourselves green level, or we're getting help from somebody we trust at the yellow level in our support system, or it's an emergency and we need that extreme emergency to be tended to. But every single day, 
we have to start to recognize, oh, we're, we're getting help. Help's not bad. We get that every day. And, and by the way, like sports is where we originally had coaches. And now we have coaches outside of sports. And if we're going to be optimizing our abilities and like in sports, they're trying to win championships, even though they're the best athlete in the world, they might want to win an Olympic medal or they might want to win a team championship. And we have coaches for that. So when we're intentional and proactive, we're going to beef up that middle level support system to handle the yellow. And, uh, you know, really good coaches actually won't let the kid get to the bottom of the green. Like, for example, Bob Bowman stepped on Michael Phelps's goggles on purpose in a meaningless race one time to push him and trigger him into the yellow. Then we've got to help them figure out how to handle those triggers and get back to the green. So I think the missing link is a lot of people jump from green straight to red because there's not enough of a support system. And we haven't bought into this idea of being intentional and purposeful and proactive with beefing up our support system of either trusted peers or coaches or people that are going to actually be helping in this level where, hey, how much, how much can I do with my potential? How can I realize my full potential? How can I optimize my inner game so that I can have all kinds of successes in the outer world? So that's just, a, we've got to get more used to doing that with purpose and intentionality. And that's, that's the job that I see we've got to do going forward is to beef up the support systems and provide that yellow flag support or that yellow flag spotting so that we don't have to wait to spot the red flags. It's too late then is what one, one mom told me where it was literally too late and she had lost her son to completed suicide. So we got to be more proactive, intentional, and really think about how we can optimize in this game of life, not to win gold medals. Those are meaningless compared to, to, to the life of every individual, not to win sports championships, which is meaningless, but we get one shot at this game of life why not really get super intentional about beefing up our support system? And you're right. And that comes, uh, I mean, as moms, I know that I raised my kids as a single mom. So I was in a country where I didn't have family. I didn't have much friends. So I didn't have that support system. But one positive point that I saw from COVID is to show us how, even though we are now on Zoom virtual, we can still support each other and we can still build communities because as human beings, I, my belief is that we're nothing without a certain aspect of community, whatever form it takes. And especially for parents and single parents, it's crucial because we're not, we're human beings and it's very hard and you don't always know what to do. And there is a stigma there was at least, uh, I know for moms to, needing help like we're supposed to know everything we're supposed to have it all together we're supposed to have all the answers and know and and that's not true we're not and the more we can show that and and remove the judgment remove the judgment because that's what trapped me personally as a mom to spiral me into a depression was my self-judgment about how I felt so help like you said it, it's not a bad word it needs to be taught and uh, yeah, so that I guess that demonstrating that to our teens would help them to know how to do that and pointing out where we do that in our life. Did yeah. the kids ever have um, an apprehension to go to your office? Like maybe may, they, would be, they would be made fun of by their friends if they were going in the counselor's office? Well, that's how I discovered my old system, like the Likert scale. 
it's a numbering system on the Likert scale. And, and I use the traffic light because imagine what it would be like if the traffic light was based on a numbering system and it was open to interpretation to everybody at the intersections. Wow. That wouldn't work out in our cars. <laughs> that wouldn't <It> be good. <laughs> it doesn't work out in the inner world either. So I found that the Likert scale didn't work because some kids would say, well, yeah, the stress 10 is high level stress and that's extreme and zero is low level. Well, Mr. Dreyer, I'm coming in when I'm a one. I was like, you're just trying to get out of class, aren't you? You like coming in, <laughs> don't you? Just get out of class. Yeah, Mr. Dreyer, you got me. Or they love drama. Whereas, you know, I'm in Colorado and, the, you know, I, I remember a kid came in with cowboy hat and like, and it was really rare to see a kid that's like not usually wanting to come into the school counseling office. And he's coming in for a schedule change. But I asked him like, well, what, what would it have to be like, you know, with your stress level to come see me? He's like, look, man, that's never going to happen. It's a schedule change or I'm not coming in here. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be a 9.99999 out of 10 for me to come in. So anywhere from the kid that wants to come in to get out of class at a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all the way up to 9.99, it just depended on the student. Yeah, That's not as good as like the green level, you can handle it. The yellow level, you need a support system from everyday life. The red level, it's an emergency. That's crisp and clear. But yes, certainly it's definitely been more the male students that have been more of a problem, you know, and it's great to be like, I was the only guy ever in my 17 years of high school counseling that was on the counseling teams that was a male. All oh. of my colleagues were females for 17 years straight. So it's amazing to be the father figure in a situation like that, or not the father figure necessarily. But I think definitely like when I think about maybe single parents, because my mom was a single mom. And so, you know, I would be able to see my dad once every couple of weeks. It's really important to have a male role model and yeah. a father figure. So being the male role model or being, you know, one of the few males in the school counseling realm was amazing. And now in the coaching realm, when I look at the summits that I'm on, it's, you know, quite a, quite a few females. So I think we're, we're, we're in a world that really needs more of this male role modeling and the father figure types that are, that are pouring into our kids and helping within the support system. And yes, there's totally a stigma about it still. Uh, however, that's that's my job is to keep breaking through and figuring out ways to make it easier and easier and easier to get the help we need. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. They need a, a good male role model. Uh, and when they don't have that available, because for my kids, they didn't have that available. That's really, really important. Um, I had another question. It's it ran off my mind. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh no. Anyway. Well, I can talk about Bob Bowman one more time. When he stepped on yes. his goggles on purpose, the other thing about Michael Phelps, he didn't get Bob Bowman as a coach and say, Oh, I might, I'm probably gonna drown now. I'm terrible at swimming because now I've asked for help from Bob Bowman. I must be a drowning type of person. No, we're not at that extreme. I love coaching in that we can help people just like Bob Bowman. Let's help you go faster. Let's be intentional. Let's really aim for realizing our full potential and our optimal abilities and performance as human beings. I love like if if kids start this coaching thing much younger, um, I know a lot of parents have gotten coaches for business or whatever, but kids have such a major, major advantage if they embrace this idea sooner or the parents embrace this idea sooner then it doesn't mean you're going to drown if you ask for help, or it doesn't mean you're a terrible single mom if you need to ask for help. Bob Bowman could not swim as fast as Michael Phelps, but Michael needed eight coaches. He needed Bob Bowman plus seven others 
to win eight gold medals. So it depends on what our goals are in life. And I really love working in the coaching space. I don't think many people really need coaching like you need therapy. It's just optional. But when you have optional, uh, you know, this optional opportunity to get this type of help, then we're going to avoid that red level stuff. Then we're going to be able to handle the triggers that put us into the yellow zone because there's an expert like Bob Bowman helping us get back to the green. And because also uh, when you start developing awareness about your uh, emotional state and, and removing the judgment, you're going to be more um, inclined to go and build the skills because you're going to be living in it. And that's where you have tools at your fingertips. I know in my house, we use tapping because that's what I use with my client, emotional freedom technique. And that has come very handy. Now, although now my, my kids don't want to hear about it, but that's normal, I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, developing, having something in their arsenal and, and knowing where they are, it's already awareness will always, already trigger the, the healing. Um, how do you approach, do, do teenagers talk to you a lot about fear of failure, especially when they have goals? And how do you approach that with them? Well, I would say looking back to my high school career and, and the clients I have now, they're mostly the kids that have really, really good grades. They're high, high achievers. And those are my most stressed out kids. You know, so throughout my career, the high achievers, uh, what I was thinking about recently is like just this, there's like three big pressures, the pressure they put on themselves. Oftentimes the parents could have pretty high expectations. And then they kind of feel like this societal thing of like good grades equals success. And so that's a pretty limited grasp of success. But even my smartest, smartest kids are equating like I must, you know, work hard and do hard things and get good grades in it pack on the pressure to myself equals success. And, uh, you know, just like I know my single mom, mom couldn't do it all and all single moms can't do it all. Those students don't have to invite that much pressure, but with the, the systemic things in society that say that's the way it is, or that's the way to succeed or hard work and those kind of values are, are very um, tough on the kids, mental health, and they, they should be fine. They've got it all. They have first world problems. But those are the kids that actually have some of the toughest, uh, you know, issues with the mental health and the anxieties about the future. And uh, yeah, it shouldn't be there, but it is. And so absolutely, those are those are some of the most uh, common kids. And really, like they appeal me to, to me the most because I know we would actually have serious mental health issues in the high school so much that we really couldn't help you plan for your future or be optimizing and going for your realizing of your full potential or, you know, being a great leader. We didn't have time for that because there was actual serious emergencies going on. So those kinds of kids would take a back seat unless their anxiety got so bad that they were, you know, endangering themselves. So that was a, a travesty to me to see like our future leaders were being too hard on themselves and they didn't need that extra pressure. I'd rather see them blossom and actually step into their leadership and you know, I'm seeing so many kids from Gen Z that want to be part of the solution and they just need help with, with that kind of alleviation of their anxieties and the relief of the pressures and, a, you know, a handling of the stress. Yeah, I, and even sometimes it's uh, even translated in physical symptoms, at least for one of my, uh, my oldest, she's like this kind of, of A++ student that is so hard on herself that 
as a parent, it's sometimes we think we have to apply the same model to every kid, but not at all. I know that with her, I need to pull her back and say, don't do too much with the other two. It's like, mm, maybe a little bit more. And it's, <laughs> it, there is always based on uh, the role that they have in the family, but it's, it's hard for them. And unfortunately, sometimes I know that uh, for my daughter, she was, used to have migraines that were debilitating from stress yeah. and it, it affects their potential. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you recommend? Because some parents, I teach moms to not catastrophize, like, you know, uh, because my, my, my uh, audience and my clients are more moms who have problems with their teens because they don't go to school or stuff like that. So Mm. catastrophize, it's not going to ruin the rest of their lives necessarily. But what do you tell parents of the kids who are high achievers, who push themselves too much? Um, What can they do to help them? Because I know with my daughter, I try to help her and tell her, calm down, you don't need, and there was sometimes a lot of resistance. Yeah, so here's me giving uh, vegetarian sushi. So I just got that, picked that up today. So my daughter's got AP classes and the AP tests are coming up. And so I, I am really dialed in to the 11th graders and the 12th graders that have lots of AP classes. So I'm able to be proactive and tuned in to just doing something little. It's these little things that can make a huge difference. And uh, you know, hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make you shut down your desire to go harder, but I want you to have self-care. My my middle daughter in, in all the AP classes that she's had, she's really had a very intentional focus in on self-care and you know, doing the things that are gonna alleviate her anxieties, handle her um, stress, and then and then release the pressures. And I take part in that, not with like doing anything that's outlandish, but literally like I just went and picked up the sushi that she likes. Right. So these little, little things make a huge difference in my opinion. And maybe also ask them what makes them feel good. And that way you have some kind of knowledge of what activities calms them down and yeah. 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 Get tuned in. I mean, it really helps to be tuned in. And that's where I was talking about the ears, like good questions and looking to understand is helpful, but really getting to know our kids and getting to know these little things. And when they see you do something for them, uh, you know, that's, that's little it's, it means you're dialed in. It means you're tuned in. It means you care. It means the, these tiny little things say so much. How, uh, I know you're uh, coaching uh, teenagers to find their passion and their path in life. What would be the first thing to do? Because sometimes it's hard, they don't know. I know we changed countries with my son and he had to learn a new language to finish high school in a new language. And he's not fully, he's he's gonna finish high school this year and he, he doesn't really have an idea or a passion that he, he can turn to and it's very hard sometimes to help them how do you help them find that or at least having some kind of direction to discover later what their passion or their their wishes for the future yeah well I mean I, there's very very few kids I think that are dialed in by the third grade and they stick with it I've seen that oh, I want to be a veterinarian and then all the way through they want yeah. to be a veterinarian 
veterinarian and then they become one. So that's a really small percentage. So it's an ongoing conversation. I started with my three teenage daughters, all of them before they were 10 years old to begin clarifying. We're never gonna get total clarity and we know what we're gonna do for 30 years. And in 2063, exactly what we're gonna be doing. We have no idea even what's gonna be around in five more years with the rapid pace of change. So beginning these conversations, beginning them early, and then I think uh, like what I love to do is actually to have the parents uh, talk with me and and then if it's a good fit to consider coaching, then we'll actually have a meeting with the kids. And this is something that I've become masterful at is helping them really get clear on this vision, then get really clear on what their personal biggest challenge is, and then to lay out what the path make, that makes sense for them after that point. And when people are serious about considering coaching, I conduct those conversations and there's no obligation but it's amazing uh, just how profound that can be. And I just love having those kind of conversations. As a parent, though, one of the mistakes I think that I see made is, what do you want to do when you grow up? I don't know. The end. So again, we have to, where's the follow-up question with that? And the follow-up is about being more concrete and specific. I've never been grown up. How am I supposed to know? I don't like what you're doing, or I don't like what most people are doing. Or I do like what you're doing, but I don't know if that's right for me or not, or if I'm just copying what you're doing. So um, being more specific might be, well, what, what's, you know, what kind of house would you like to have? Where would you like to live? Uh, what's something, how, what do you want to do? Like, what kind of finances do you want to have? What would you do with that money? Uh, what kind of like health and fitness kind of things do you see in your future? Do you care about that? Or are you never going to eat another piece of broccoli again after we've been forcing you to eat it all throughout your child. <laughs> um, you know, so get get specific. So the specific things, like I said, are like health, fitness, uh, health and fitness, uh, maybe um, financial, uh, where where would you like to live? Um, relationships, you know, what kind of friends would you like to have? Do you see yourself having a family and a partner? Um, so helping them craft that vision, however fuzzy it is at the moment, it can get more and more and more clear through more and more conversations. And then just know that they're not gonna get it figured out for 30 years. We're not doing that job yeah. at 18. What's, what are you gonna do first? That's first. all we really need yeah. to figure it out is what are you gonna do first uh, as you're growing up? That's a, that's a, oh, that's a great point first. Um, now I, I see, for example, with my son, <laughs> how, what tip would you give to a parent? Because I know how I reacted, but his his thing is like he's ADHD, so he doesn't want to sit at as a he doesn't want to work in a job where he's gonna sit. But he comes up with ideas like I want to be a tattoo artist, and <laughs> I want to be uh, a guide, you know, that takes people in nature. And for me as a parent, it's very difficult because I don't want to I don't want to tell him, well, you know, tattoo artist is gonna be hard. I don't want to kill it, but I also want to be more realistic and tell him that's cool you can do that too but maybe find something else at the same time is there something that you tell parents that help them feel better in or navigate that because it's not easy it's very confusing you don't know sometimes uh, I see the moms that they don't know how to react simply I had moms who are their son is an actor and he's now on Disney Channel. So good that she supported him, but that's not the case for everyone. So that's very difficult and personal. 
Uh, do you have one tip maybe to help parents negotiate that better with themselves before they even know what to do with their kids? I think we get to fail at plan A. We get to fail. We get to be okay. wrong. We get to fail. We get to make errors. Okay. That's part of life. And then we can go to plan B. The big problem is people go to plan B before they even try plan A. Um, my own daughter, she got all A's and B's in high school, but she didn't want to go to college and she's off at cinema makeup school in LA and she's studying to do makeup artistry. And she literally has a, like on her, on her Instagram, she placed a person with a disco ball face because they put 5,000 rhinestones on, on this guy's face. And he literally looks like an Oscar because they're all gold. Wow. <laughs> um, so she, you know, she did that look and she's been building that look that her, her, um, skills since the pandemic. So she started to create and craft what I call resume 2.0, which is our social like LinkedIn for grownups or any one of the socials is our opportunity to start, um, posting online what we're doing. So kids can start, you can tell if kids are serious or not by getting to know them and seeing what they're actually doing and seeing what they're actually curious and interested about. So she kept that interest and kept posting every single week consistently. So she built a long track record of week after week after week of backing up, like, this is my interest, hello. And uh, so we gotta really get to know our kids or we have to have a coach. I mean, kids you know, definitely open up to me about things that maybe they've already heard a billion times from their parents or maybe they don't disclose with their parents. So having this outside resource, an expert on actually figuring this out is a game changer because I can tell the difference when somebody should actually go for, you know, something more realistic that fits their interests or really go for something that's a big dream, knowing full well they might face plant and it's okay. And yeah. then if you have somebody that actually, you know, pours into you, inspires you and cheerleads you, they also, after you face plant can be trusted to help dust you off and, and say, okay, let's go to plan B or let's keep going for plan A. That's okay that you face planted. Let's try a different angle at it. So it's not the easiest thing in the world. These are some of the most difficult things to decide and pursue. And that's, that's why I created my coaching that really helps support through all these tough transitions, yeah. tough decisions, and then also really getting clarity. I'm working with one that I've worked with many times and we, we have a bullseye that we're working with and we haven't hit the pinpoint center of the bullseye yet for career. So we're getting there. That's great. So I would recommend parents to go see someone like you uh, to help them and, and know how to navigate that because it's not always easy. I, uh, I see a lot of moms are like losing sleep sometimes when their kids come up with weird careers. And um, I know what I would do for my own kid, but of course I will not tell anyone else to what to do. We have also our own wisdom. Um, do people, can people uh, find you? Do you have a website where people can contact you, maybe uh, connect with you if they have questions about if you're a good fit or if they need someone like you? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I've been uh, making Facebook live streams quite a bit on, you know, going, going ahead and booking a call with me. And so I had it so that the parents could come on with their kids. But I think a step before that is just to have like a, a connection call with the parents. So yeah. I can share a link for that with you and they can check out my page. And there's, you know, I've been working with uh, within the business space as well. And that's actually what helped me really zero in on remembering my own story 
and knowing like the pivotal time was like feeling so bad about wasting all that money and time on the wrong career. So seeing so many grownups that have helped start businesses and seeing like they've never done the fulfilling thing, like they didn't switch like I did and spend the time soul searching. They're much, much older. I thought it was bad to finally figure it out at late in my late 20s that it took me that long to do my soul searching. And I'm seeing that I've worked with people from 45 to 85 yeah. that are still trying to figure it out and still haven't found that thing that gives them their twinkle in their eye. So absolutely, if parents want to meet with me, that's definitely an opportunity. I can give that link to uh, look at the page that has some of the people that I've worked with. And then there's also a place to uh, fill out an application and book a call with me. Do you also coach grown-ups? Because I know for me, like you said, the pivot started in my late 40s and I was a single mom doing it on the side and that was, that, that was painful. Do you coach grown-ups who are somewhere where they don't, they don't like what they're doing, but they have no idea what would make them more fulfilled? Or on yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the young, like I'm finding the young 20s is really like my, my lane, like Gen Z that is getting into the work world. But uh, yeah, I've worked with people from 45 to 85, yeah. probably, I mean, 30s, probably 30s on up to 85 within the business coaching. I just did so many business co co coaching courses that I was like, you know what, maybe one good thing to, that to help me learn this better would be to teach it. So for the past four yeah. years, I've had the opportunity to, to uh, do work with a coach that um, I'm working under. And yeah, it's, it really helps to learn uh, how to do something by teaching it. And so, yeah, I've helped a lot of adults over the past four years in business coaching specifically, helping them figuring out like what their, their message is, what their story is, what their idea is to offer to the world and then how to do the sales process. And I actually was terrible at sales at first, but I've really fallen in love with the sales because it is this opportunity to help figure out the goal, help discover a challenge and then lay out a path and plan. And those clients that have not signed up with me because it is a no obligation conversation, I have really given, I know I've really given great value. And so that's what really matters to me is every single time I have one yeah. of these conversations with parents, parents and kids or the business, potential business clients, uh, it's just powerful to have that conversation so that they at least get something of value from it. So I've definitely, uh, you know, love that opportunity. And, and if people are interested in getting that support, that's something we could explore as well. And, and something I want to mention is us as parents, I know that my kids saw me build my, my business on the side. And, and I, I think one of my daughters did a, a project at school about, uh, I think it was the American success or something like that. And she picked me and I was like, what? I'm not a success. But she was like, you're an immigrant and you have. And so we have no idea when we go for our things too as parents, how it can impact our kids. Remember that too, because I was like in tears. I was like, oh my uh, God, she's, she sees me as a success. I, I, I don't even oh, see myself. So I'm, like, I'm not where I want to be. <laughs> I love it. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, business is tough. So again, like it it's is. the same thing with the kids. The support system for that is one thing I've found is that if you got, again, an expert who understands the strategies and who can be supportive and you don't have to go it alone. I mean, nobody really makes it alone. We all we all have yeah. to stand on the shoulders of our mentors and trainers and instructors and supporters. And that form of help uh, makes all the difference in the world. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us. It's like, there's nothing wrong with a kindergartner that they don't know calculus. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I, I really liked our conversation and I know that will help a lot of moms because it's difficult to navigate and sometimes we need a professional to just have also a neutral um, perception of it because us we sometimes are lost in our emotions and our fears etc is there something that you would like to tell people before we part like maybe one thing to remember or your main uh... feel free to follow me on friend uh, you know be a friend on facebook or follow me on facebook because that's the place where i'm most regular especially with kind of lengthier uh you know posts so there's one thing quite frequently there uh the one thing i would leave with today, I think is, you know, when you were just speaking just now, I was thinking of something. Um, yeah, the role modeling. Remember that who we are speaks so loudly, they don't yeah. hear a word we say, and they've heard it all already. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing else we can say. If they've gotten that's to true. teenage years, they've heard it all from us. And that's where that outside objective person can can be, uh, you know, beneficial. And it's more you know, for me, it's more about the listening and the ears. And there are some things I'm definitely a coach that does a lot of talking uh, because there are there are skills that I'm teaching. There's instruction that I'm giving. There's ideas that I'm, I'm uh, helping them understand and then giving them things to do. And we're following up and uh, giving feedback on that. But as parents, they pretty much know what we're going to say before we say it. So that role modeling, you know, just knowing that they're always watching and uh, Muriel, if you've you know been that you know American hero for them, success story, that's just super touching. And then we all are that role model, whether we're role modeling the way we want to or not. Oh, that's true. what we're really true. watching. That's what they're really learning from. So I'll leave everybody with that. Because I've also heard the other side when I was <laughs> raising my voice and my daughter turning around and say, "Huh, I thought we were supposed to be master of our emotions." <laughs> Oh. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Thank you, Donovan, for being here, being here today with us. My pleasure. And Thank you for having me, Muriel. I will put all your links. I, I watch you on Instagram, but maybe I need to go more on Facebook because if you do more stuff on Facebook. And uh, for the audience, I'll put all the links below in the description of the episode, whether it is on audio or on YouTube. And go check Donovan's out because he has uh, great stuff. And don't hesitate to reach for help. Have a wonderful day and I'll see you next time with another episode. Bye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify or any other platform of your choice. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.